TNTM The Show presents New Mexico Comic Expo Haley Atwell panel. Uh, gray. I almost look like a Guillermo del Toro film. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, they come in for the, to, to then do the special effects. And then, as a final stage, is it's just a, a, kind of a pole with a light on top of it. Which is, so it's just kind of, it's a bit like, you know that movie Inside Out? Yes. When they go and they all become kind of abstract versions of themselves? That was what it was like during the season where you poo. I'm like, he's now just a line, a squiggly line. Um, but yet with the kind of the spirit of this kind of wise old Yoda-like bear. Right. Um, it was, uh, they didn't train me for that in drama school. No, so I yeah. I make it up as I went along and kind of keep my cool. Yeah, yeah. amazing. So, speaking of drama school, quite professionally trained. Talk a little bit about your background, upbringing, and I mean, you've gone to school for 49 years. Um, so, <laughs> lots of years of, uh, yeah, it's a lot well, of training. I, I feel like this profession is an, is an apprenticeship that you get more interesting as you get older because you've had experience and the skills to acquire to make better choices and also to kind of be hopefully more proficient in your role as a storyteller. So I started off in London training in classical theatre, that's where I got my degree in, and I started at the Royal Shakespeare Company in the Royal National Theatre doing Ibsen and doing Shaw and Shakespeare and lots of the classics. And for me it was a great kind of sense of kind of reverence to the culture that we have in the UK about the respect for the craft of, of yeah. acting, which for us, you know, came from ancient Greek and is now kind of, thanks to people like Shakespeare, we have this heritage which is kind of important to us. So that was something that I always loved. And of course, I loved movies as well. Um, and so I trained and I wanted to be able to do all mediums. And I don't believe that there is, now anyway, there doesn't exist the taboo that I think used to happen maybe 30, 40 years ago where you were either a theatre actor, a TV or a film and that it was very hard for you to cross into the others without feeling that one had more credibility over the other. Mm. And now that we're in this golden age of television, particularly, and also having you know, A-list movie stars doing plays in, 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 on Broadway, it, it shows that there's been this real crossover where people are just looking for really good material, regardless of the medium. And so um, you know, I, I get quite, uh, I get very proud to be in a comic book film because that to me is no lesser than a Shakespeare play. It is the quality of the story and knowing that it connects with a wider audience. And um, I'm sure that this is the demographic of more comic book than, than Shakespeare, so I don't think you guys are in agreement with me there. Um, yes, I, I, I feel I, I've always wanted to have variety in my career and wanted to meet as many people as possible, so it keeps my mind open and I get to learn new skills and get to work with lots of, you know, real incredible groups of different people from the walks of life. Um, and so here we are with Marvel. And when I auditioned for the first Captain America, you know, I, I have never heard of I was gonna ask, that's what I wanted to ask. Were you aware of no, any of that? Thankfully, right. I think if I would have gone for the audition, I'd be like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, you know, just be terrifying, the scale of it, you know. Um, so I, that's where my training comes in handy because yeah. regardless of the status or the the scale of something that you're going into, ultimately I just got to play my part, which is turn up on time, prepared, getting a sense of what is needed, and then playing and having as much fun as possible with the people that I'm working with in the room. And if there is an actual rapport that's created, then it leads to a collaboration. Yeah. And that's what happened with Captain America. So with the audition, the first the first audition I did, it was it was actually a screen test. Uh, I had eight pages of dialogue that I had to learn, and then a 20 minute fight sequence that they, they kind of took me around this like back lot of the studio in London with the stunt coordinator, and he was like, okay, so you're gonna do this. And I kind of had to kind of copy his choreography, and then um, and just see if I, it's, ultimately it's to see how convincing I was at selling a punch yeah. without actually doing physical damage. Um, and I trained with a lot of dance at drama school, so that trains you with coordination. Um, and being able to work opposite someone. So a lot of the fight sequences often feel like choreographed dance sequences, which is a little bit more aggressive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> more aggressive. Um, yeah, and I wasn't always great at them. Oh. There, were, there were a few casualties in the making. Not of me, unfortunately, just people on the receiving end of me, just <laughs> throwing my kind of like confidence at them with very little skill. 
Um, yeah, so, and, but I, you know, they've lived to tell the tale, I've lived to tell the tale, so here we are. I mean, what was that experience like? Obviously, you played such an incredibly strong female character, and at the time, th that was the beginning of Marvel. You truly, really were the first female badass, you know? <laughs> because other than that, it, it was usually, you know, the, the, the girlfriend or the wife or the, the damsel in distress and you came on with, with Peggy Carter and you were not that. So what was that like for you as an experience? I don't think I could have done it any other way. I mean, that's kind of full close to how, how I am and how I've been raised. Um, and so I didn't, and I, I, those, I've always wanted roles that, that give me some sort of agency that's, that's not just reactive to the other character opposite me, but that and is not passive, that is in some ways has her own drives and impulses. So I think that's more interesting and it creates more tension between characters if I'm offering something other than the, the role of kind of the, rea the reactionary victim. Yeah. Um, so, and what I loved in the audition was it, it felt they, as, as the film kind of progressed and then when they offered me the show, they wanted me to just bring it as I wanted to do it. They gave me full, I suppose, free to creative freedom to, to, to be her. And um, that, that's kind of, I think, that's something I feel incredibly grateful for, that they, they gave me that, uh, that trust, um, that it was, that she was able to be kind of multifaceted and that she was able to um, see, see Captain America, the skinny Steve at the beginning as someone who had great courage and had character forged out of adversity, which is something as a woman in a very male-dominated time in the, um, for her in the army, she kind of understood that. So there's like a kindred spirit between them. They both had a disability of sorts uh, based on their circumstance and the kind of the bodies that they've been born into. And so I love that as the kind of the, the chemistry between them. So it meant that as he progressed as Captain America, she still always knew who he was and what the personal cost and sacrifice he had made in order to become this soldier. So I, I love that. Were you aware once you, you're on set, you guys are, are in production of Captain America, the first Avenger, were you aware it was going to be what it is now a decade later? No, I mean, it, it, it had every chance not to be that as well, because it was, uh, you know, if you think about kind of what Marvel has achieved in these 10 years, with and, and just how in every single film they have seemed to up their game and delight their audience and genuinely figured out what it was that you guys wanted and tried to surprise and delight you at the same time and satisfy you. And to, to do that consistently, to then now with Endgame, the biggest movie of all time in the world, yeah. you, you can't... Um, you can clap for that, that's pretty cool. That's usually incredible. And, I, and my, my Eric Pearson, who's one of my best friends, who wrote, uh, a, he wrote a lot of Thor, uh, and he wrote, he wrote in, and in Avengers Endgame, he wrote the Captain America's ass gags, that's <laughs> And you know when Paul, uh, Ant-Man goes back in time and he comes back as all the different ages of himself? And he's kind of, and that's one of my favorite parts of the film. That's all Eric, so Eric's a real great comedy writer. But he called me the other day and says, how does it feel to be the last frame of yes. the biggest film of all time? I'm like, God, it didn't feel like that. I was like bundled into a van about two years ago and uh, to, to dance with Chris, who's my old mate, and then go home again. And then, so you never know the, the internal experience of doing something like this is the only thing that's within your control is, is the moment that's in front of you. And then you go home and then it has a life outside of you that takes on this kind of, this power that catches fire and kind of goes around the planet. And it's extraordinary because the, it's the audience's participation in that that makes it what it is. I think it's incredible that Endgame was this large epic, we just watched it with the fam and uh, for the 19th time, now that it's on Blu-ray. Uh, and it's almost like the, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings for this, for this era, for this time, these giant battle scenes, and yet the film ends with a man and a woman dancing. And so, what? How hard was that to keep? I mean, you you filmed that in 2017, and you had to hold on to that. And 
knowing that that was the finality of it, I mean, were you aware that this is this is the end of Steve and Peggy, and, and this is how they're wrapping up the Avengers? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, I, I didn't want to think about that too much, because I think it would have affected the simplicity and the purity of the scene that Chris and I were doing. You know, we just wanted to make this a very uh, wholesome sense of completion between two people who are in love. And when um, Marcus McFeely, Steve McFeely in particular, uh, spoke to me in person, he said, this is our pamphlet. We want this kind of panning shot with this meet this particular song. And uh, we want we want the front door to be open, so the audience are going. Something's happened already that we haven't that that the audience didn't get a chance to see. And then when it and then it pans in, and they're already dancing. And he got kind of he got a little teary. I got a little teary because what I loved is it's quite um, <laughs> really nerdy reference. It's quite Greek. You're at Comic Con. To do that. Cool no, no, like ancient Greek theatre oh, comic books. It's too good. You guys get on. Different kind of vibe. Right, right, right. But, so, it's a, so there's one thing that, the, the one device in Greek tragedy, which is uh, the most dramatic or most violent moments in a play happen off stage. So the audience don't see them. And then what happens is someone really comes on in a scene and tells the audience, what has just happened, the slaughter that's just happened backstage, like Medea killing murdering her children, that often happens backstage, you don't see it. And the idea of that is it because it, first of all, you imagine back in ancient Greek, they probably wouldn't have the effects that we would have. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I can't believe that, what is that, ketchup, ketchup? It existed then, so God knows what they would use. So they, there wouldn't have been a convincing way to show something dramatic happening, but also, it, if it exists in your imagination, you're going to make it probably a lot more powerful and meaningful imagining what's going on than actually seeing it in front of you. It's a bit like the suspense created when a movie doesn't show you the monster until later on. So you build up this, like, like it's the fear of the unknown. And so, to really connect it back to the end of Jaws and But what I love when McFeely was telling me about that you just, the camera just sees an open front door. You can imagine Peggy's face when she opens that door to him. And first of all, I was relieved I didn't have to act that, because I was like, how do you act? For the love of your life, you feel stuck in the ice, which is already hard to go and like believe. <laughs> it's now your front door. I mean, I don't, I think I would probably burst into laughter of the absurdity and awkwardness of the situation and be like, am I married? so beautiful is that they let Peggy and Steve have that moment of privacy where the audience didn't see yeah. when he knocked on the door and, it, and just sees the aftermath and it kind of for me that makes their moment at the end even more private which makes me kind of love it and kind of cherish it more because it's just such a thing that belongs to their little world yeah. um, in the midst of such an extraordinary scale of action there's just these two beings in their own little corner, having their moment, which feels so human and so relatable. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's the biggest movie of all time now. So well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not about <laughs> so you, you did work with um, Winnie the Pooh as a wire hanger. Uh, you worked. Steve Rogers was. Yeah, he's very, very. Yeah, yeah, yes, Um uh, yeah, Chris Evans, of course, skinny Steve versus, you know, like, bulked up Steve, which was real. I remember, you know, in Captain America, the first adventure. Um, I did read somewhere that when that scene took place, when you were filming that scene, when he comes out of the capsule shirtless, um, your response was... I need to sample that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to check that everything is... In order? Um, <laughs> what is that one you're down to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, way to sell that experience. My girl is very polite right. as well. Yes. And, and slightly like she, she caught herself off guard by yeah. doing it. Yeah. I, I did it once and then Joe Johnson, the director, really liked it. And Chris didn't mind either, so I just did it a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's probably a few 
Marsh is always going, oh. <laughs> how far can I go with this before it gets really inappropriate? And like, if it was the other way around, you'd be like, hashtag me too, that's not okay. Right. So like, how do I deal with this awful situation? But he was, and Chris just goes with it. He's so great at just staying in the moment in a scene, and so you just, you can carry it on. You can try new things, you can try other things. Yeah. Uh, within, the, within the kind of structure of what the scene needs to be, he, he, you know. So I, I felt over time safe enough to try things like that without thinking that he was going to be this story upset. Right. right. <laughs> but, they, yeah. but it was also the first time I'd seen him uh, with a shirt off. Right. As well. Because yeah. I'd met him in the office a couple of times before with like a cap on and a t-shirt. And I was like, oh, hello, I don't know who you are. Hello. <laughs> he was like, hello, I don't know who you are. And I'm like, okay, well, let's make a movie. Yeah. And, um, so then to see him, and he was back, I think he was backstage and he was doing, he was doing a workout just before that scene. Uh, especially because he's had physically had to go through so much in the pod, so he kind of worked himself up into a quite a sweat. So when he was, he just kind of appeared to me. Is he in a suit? This is just. Feels like I'm causing pain if I poke too hard. It's real. It's real. So you got to do so many takes of that. Obviously, I want to transition to film. I mean, to. Uh, the stage because you do so much stage work as well. And it's obviously completely different. You're working again with a wire hanger Winnie the Pooh or with a shirtless Chris Evans that you get to do 100 takes because it's the first time you've seen his bets. Um, <laughs> but on stage, you go out there and I portrayed this incredible woman, uh, Rebecca West, and I, I was reading your article actually in The Guardian, which you can find at The Guardian. Haley actually wrote it herself. It's pretty incredible. Uh, I was reading about it and talk to me a little bit about the difference of that experience. Yeah. Because I mean, it's live. We're here, you're on a stage, and yeah. you don't get different takes. And yet, night after night, Rebecca's character is kind of changed, right? Is, is what you were saying. Yeah, well, the, the, I suppose the, the main difference. It, of the setup is that you have five to six weeks of rehearsals for a theatre job, and then you go onto the stage, you do a technical rehearsal, then you start putting it in front of the audience. But you have that prep time where you can get a sense of the footing of the character, of the tone of it, where uh, where the designing climaxes the story come from, where you need to emotionally get to at any any given moment. And so you're kind of mapping her out, and then it's not until an audience come in that she she becomes alive, and and the audience start to dictate what they need from her. Like if it's a particularly, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a very lively audience and you have to kind of even be kind of stiller to kind of keep their attention. So you, you're very much, you get to if you're, if you're kind of skilled enough. And uh, there are, I love watching British actors and particularly people like Mark Rylance who can, you can, every time he walks on stage you can hear a pin drop because he has all the audience's attention without doing very much. It's an extraordinary skill. Um, and a lot harder to do than it actually sounds. Um, but, you, but with film, of course, you have no connection with your audience. Your, your audience is the camera, and the camera picks up pretty much everything you're thinking. You need to be just having the thoughts rather than showing the thoughts, which is what you would do on stage. If I am this big on the stage and you guys are at the back, you need to hear me clearly, you need to see the physic my physicality, so I need to be a lot more uh, certain about my body movements and what my voice is doing. But on film, you can be much more intimate, and also you can do it a million times until you're happy or the director's happy. And so, you're, but once it's done, it's in the can, it's immortalized, yeah. that's there forever. Whereas in, in theater, every night it dies, because the only people that will ever experience it are the people that were present in the audience that night. And I find that invigorating in a world that is so obsessed with recording everything, where if we see something beautiful, we don't just want the experience of seeing it beautiful, we want everyone in the world who might know us or not know us to, sh to know that we've just right. seen something that's beautiful. Which, have you ever actually recorded something at a concert and it turned out well? No. You know what I mean? I go to, I go to concerts and you see people and they're like in the front with the camera and they're filming and you're going, it's not going to sound good. Right? Yeah. You're, 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 you're missing the experience. I'm missing the experience. And being there. And I get it, and I do that. I do that myself, but then I, I do think I rob myself of the experience of just letting myself have an intimate moment with receiving what it is that I feel that the performer is giving me. And otherwise it just becomes a status thing where I'm like, oh, I get this present, right, right, right. something I look how special I am. And you're like, then it's not a shared experience. Right. You're just kind of using it to kind of 
keep score on how and you know how special you are. And I just think it's a it's a more of a it, it's less of a I don't know an immediate experience for me. So I'm, I'm trying to I try and do that less. But I'm still bad at it. Oh, like oh, it's been that beautiful picture of sunset. Oh, we're still going to take a selfie. Oh, yeah, of course. Even though I'm aware, right? Right, right, of course. Oh, yeah. I'm going to change it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very superior. Right. That was a vicious circle. So yeah, so with, with with stage, you know, that doesn't exist. So you, you really get the moment of going. It was only these people here and us on stage at this moment. This will never happen again. And if you're telling a story that connects with an audience, you could feel the breath in the room changes. The you, I could feel people in the audience leaning forward, watching this particular play. It was an Ibsen play in the West End in London, and the, the I could hear audible gasps. And that collective consciousness that's created in an audience is is very it's a very powerful feeling compared to uh, you're effectively when you're in a film you're on a building site you are um, Sarah Silverman on her Netflix stand up current one there's a brilliant kind of comedy a sketch about what it's like to be on a film set because you'd be doing something where it's just us two doing a scene and this is and the camera just picks up two lovely chairs, a black stage, us two together chatting. But then on, if you kind of actually realize what was going on, there'd be about a hundred people around us, right. holding up a light, yeah. um, a clapperboard, the, yeah, the yeah, focus yeah. puller, yeah. all this stuff going on. And some of them, they're just sitting there and they're thinking their nose or they're looking at their watch and you're going like, I'm acting really hard here. <laughs> this is, I'm really giving it, I mean, I'm digging deep. I mean, <laughs> And you just want to know when you're going to eat lunch. And I'm like, and I get that too. But it's, it's such a, you're having to create an atmosphere that the camera thinks is real, but you are just, you are effectively on a building site. You know, there's so much construction going around, or they might be um, rigging up the next scene in that corner and doing some drilling work, and then having to pull freeze every time you're filming the other scene over there in the other corner. So you have people just like, crew members just kind of freezing like that, and then on cut, they're like, Okay, and we'll go back to their drilling. <laughs> and you kind of, it's, it's, um, you have to kind of more sus of suspended disbelief in, in the atmosphere of it, where when you're on stage and you're in somewhere that looks like the room that you're meant to be set in, you can kind of get lost in the magic of that set. Absolutely incredible. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah, hey, look at you. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I know we have a line of people, and I would love to continue just talking, just you and I, for until the end of time, um, but I know that uh, I want to get to some of the audience questions as well, so yeah, we'd like to open it up now, so. Hi, um, my name is Michelle. I was wondering, um, with Endgame, the last frame of the biggest movie, I had read a rumor that uh, either from the Russo brothers or Mr. Kevin Feige was interested in doing a continuation of Peggy Carter and uh, Steve Rogers post that kiss. Really? Yeah. Where did you hear that from? Okay, yeah. I was just wondering if there's any truth to that or if you've been approached about that yet. No, I mean, um, I think. I think the, the, the way that they constructed the scene at the, at the end gave a sense of closure and completion for that chapter of their lives. I think, you know, um, certainly I can only speak for myself, if, if they were to approach or kind of show interest in something more, they would, or, or a continuation, it would, for me it would have to be a movie rather than a TV show. And for me, it would have to feel like I'm not just revisiting old, old ground. Like it would have to feel that you, we progressed with it, with the story, and it felt a need to be told. Because you know, the, it would be a significantly smaller film than Avengers Endgame, so why, re, why, why play the role that kind of go, goes a step down when, when it's already ended on like the biggest film of all time? I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure really easily unless the whole thing is really well thought out and, and gives a kind of a, a left field approach to to showing this couple in a different sort of um in a different way than we've seen them before does that make sense yes it yeah. has and I, I think it also stated it would be the 
off of their head, they said possibly uh, the buildup of shield and your role in that. So, okay. Just felt like you guys would just hang out and finally just be married and love each other. It would be the most boring movie. It would be so boring. Well, we have to have domestics. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And be, there's no way she would be a like a rom-com. Like how would that even yeah, work? Yeah, it could be like a like a, a Hepburn and Tracy. Oh, like, like cool. Anne's Rib or something like Moonlighting. It has to be some screwball. Completely different. Pretty, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, my question for you is, how similar is your character, Agent Carter, to yourself? Uh, well, I wasn't brought up in the military. Um, I've never punched a man in the face. Um, I mean, accidentally on set, of course. Well, yeah. Well, no, no, I, I've kicked a few. Oh. <laughs> That's not the <laughs> I've never, I've never even accidentally punched a man in the face. No, I've never been in a physical fight. That's cool. Um, I've never been able to. My hair is consistently well as her. You didn't have great hair, It's Just like, how do you do that? I just it's amazing. I know. I didn't. She had people doing it. Yeah. Um. I think she's probably more patient than I am. Um. Uh, maybe a little bit more serious or earnest than I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love her, I think we kind of have a shared value system. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was certainly, uh, I'd be quite angry if I saw an injustice. Like if, you know, uh, if a, a big person was fighting with a small person, I'd get very upset. Like if, it, if something didn't feel like fair play or fair game, I'd feel very angry about that. Um, so I, and 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 I come to want to do something about it. So I think there is a there's a similarity there. It's kind of about in, in a value system for sure. But um, yeah, I'm a I'm not as cool as that. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, um, I don't know if you remember yesterday the post from my girlfriend with you in the phone line. And um, part of it, but thank you. <laughs> part of uh, what I asked her was um, you're the Peggy to my Steve and the Angie to my Peggy. And I'm wondering, I know that you and Lindsay were really vocal about like, supporting Cardinelli, and I'm wondering why that was something you felt was important to do. Uh, well, we didn't really understand it, uh, to be honest. So we found out that we have lots of fans from the LGBTQ community um, that made us see that relationship in a different light, which we fully embraced and wanted to, to celebrate. Because I think, you know, I'm a, a, a big supporter of diversity and representation of more of how the world is versus that small slice of what is represented on TV. Um, so I think in that regard, in terms of um, a call to that kind of level of humanity, it felt that less to do with the kind of chemistry between myself and Lindsay and more to do with what that would potentially represent for the community. Um, that felt something that we were very happy to support, for sure. Thank you. Hi. 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 I'm Irene. Um, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> It's an alienist. <laughs> well, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> um, so, obviously, season two of Agent Carter ended very suspensefully, so if you can tell us, does Jack survive, and if not, what is your dream Shakespeare role? <laughs> <laughs> I have a theater degree, I want to know. point me into answer the question by being like, Telling, asking a question that you know I'd actually want to answer. Um, it's very clever. I'm a theater major, I want to know. <laughs> okay, very clever. Um, can I tell you a secret? Yeah. I haven't watched the second season. <gasps> uh, I, yeah, isn't that awful? I was there though, I know I what I'm saying. You don't need the to re experience. It's like the concert. You like the concert. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I watched it. And I would spend the whole time going like, oh, that was a day to day 
James fell over, and that was the day that Bernard the Flamingo had a bit of a diva fit and ran off on the trailer. So I, I wouldn't be watching it in the same way, objectively, as an audience member. So I was like, and I never knew what, I couldn't ever figure out what zero matter was. So I was like, I'm just confused. So I, to do it. <laughs> so I just kind of like, let it, you know, let it tell itself That's and cool. have a good time. Um, do you so know? I, I, yeah. You don't have to watch it. Respectfully. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I, uh, I know by the, uh, by the end of the season when we were filming it, that hadn't been decided, uh, the Jack situation, or I think there's something else. She gets a file given to her, right? I think something. There's a minute. Yeah, tell me about it. So, it's Shakespeare. So Shakespeare. Yes, yes, yes. I'd love to go at, because unfortunately, I think, relatively speaking, there are better roles for men in Shakespeare than there are for women. There's, you have your Cleopatra's, your Lady M's, you have Rosalind's, you have, no, Ophelia's. That's not a good role. Single. 
Um, during that Muppet show, do you remember her? I think Kermit was seeing someone else all the time. Yeah. So she was single, and she literally was in kind of the next studio, and I am a massive fan of Miss Piggy. Well, yeah. So, and they, she turned out to be a massive fan of Agent Carter, so they said, well, we can make, we can make an outfit for Miss Piggy for you, and for her to sing. To be Miss Peggy. Miss Peggy. Yeah. Miss Peggy Carter. Yeah. Piggy from Piggy Carter. Um, so, so that was kind of a no-brainer. And then the last one, um, I can't really remember. By then I'd lost all kind of the will to live. Right? It was far too competitive and overwhelming. We had a lot of scenes to shoot. But my favourite thing was the fact that on the last day we did, I do think we kind of cheated a little bit. The fact that James and I did the final countdown and just got lots of people to kind of do this ridiculous made-up dance. And hope that we get more votes than we did. It sounds like a little bit All right, thank you. Hello, my name is Megan Glass. I'm from uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Hi. I'm, um, um, I'm from the home of the famous uh, 1947 UFO crash. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Oh, you're not? Okay. Uh, well, my book adds a two partner. Do you believe uh, aliens exist? when I was like, audience questions, and you were like, yes, amazing, let's do that, high five. Well, one thing I will say is I'm, I'm grateful that you haven't asked what was it like to kiss Chris Evans, because that's the other question I normally get all the time. Oh. Uh, it's very hard to answer, it's very nice. <laughs> um, do I think, I, I think it would be, personally speaking, I think it would be quite arrogant of me to not at least entertain the idea that in this in the absolutely enormous universe that we live in, this limitless space, right. that we are the only, uh, you know, um, human life or intelligent life. So um, I don't necessarily, I don't keep... Um, Did you know you were going to be answering questions like that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I know. <laughs> Great. I, I, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in whether or not they have been here yet, because um, I've got a lot, I'm quite busy. <laughs> but I definitely, um, I, 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 I would have thought that somewhere out there there is a planet that has intelligent life on it, for sure. I, I wouldn't necessarily think it was wise for us to contact it because it would probably eat us. Yeah. Um, we, we have if we have resources that they want, then I would rather that we went around blindly thinking that they didn't exist, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so, but I will now investigate the 1947 UFO crash. Yeah, do that. So thank you, I've learned something useful. Great. And I'm uh, not asking Katie Carter, I'm asking, uh, Haley, uh, who's your favorite superhero? Uh, we had a superhero in the UK called Banana Man. <laughs> 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 was a small boy called Eric, uh, that if he ate lots of bananas, he would turn into Banana Man, and, which also meant that when he transformed, he, had, he grew this enormous chin. It looked quite pointy, and then he would fly around his neighborhood saving lives. It was very quaint and sweet, and so I'd go banana man all the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Molly. Uh, my friend is obsessed with you. He's not here, but I was uh, I was flexing on him because I got an interview today, but he doesn't talk to you. Anyways, so my question is, if there was ever a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you? About my life? Yeah. Oh, um, there's a, an actress that is, oh, she's wonderful and very funny and reminds me, she's wonderful and funny, reminds me of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, called Florence Pugh. Um, she's, I'm thinking what she, she was in this horror film called Midsummer. She's in The New Little Women. Um, and she is, uh, she was also in Fighting With My Family. She's an English actress, and she has a really funny Instagram account. And unlike, she's the antithesis of the dark side of social media, which is just to be a, uh, again, just an absolute soulless uh, display of narcissism, of perfecting a particular angle so everyone looks at particular size and how great their life is, which I find really depressing to look at. So I, whenever I see someone that's real or comfortable in their own skin or offering something that seems to be authentic, then I'm like, that's a great use of the social media platform. So I'm learning something about someone as an individual rather than trying to look like everyone else. Anyway, 
rant over. Um, <laughs> Florence is that. She's, uh, she's her own person. She sings, she plays guitar, she is goofy and silly and has kind of a deep husky voice that's very funny. Um, and she's incredibly talented, so I'd be hugely honored if she ever played her in the film of my life, which would be quite boring. Boring? <laughs> what? I just be like, we've just spent the last 40 minutes talking about all these incredible things that you've been doing. Yeah, but see, the films that I've been talking about, rather than yeah. the film about the films. The, 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 yeah, you're right. You know, it would be quite meta. It would be quite Inception-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's better for Robin. And, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Uh, Hi. My question for you is, you mentioned that you love watching movies. So growing up, was there ever an actor that kind of inspired you, or could even be a, your favorite movie of all time, or a movie that inspired you? Um, yeah, many. I think I think the other day, because I could say something that feels kind of very proper and impressive, <laughs> but I but you know, and kind of a bit abstract, and a bit like, well, it's this kind of unknown French actor of the forties or whatever. You know, that's the, but that's actually not true. My favorite movie, st so the, my favorite movie star of all time, I think, is Tom Hanks. Um, the, for 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 me, the the he captures the the, the everyman hero, um, and I just think he is infinitely watchable and empathetic and. Just, I think, just an incredible human being. So I'd watch anything he's in, and a beautiful kind of body of work as well. Um, so I, and, and I also loved, um, as I said, so I kind of loved a lot of the Justice courtroom dramas growing up. Um, and halfway through watching Paul Newman in The Verdict at the moment in the hotel, because I'm a Paul Newman fan, I like him. Um, and I, I also like things like In the Name of the Father with Daniel Day Lewis, who's obviously an extraordinary actor, and, and Pete Postlethwaite was in that as well. So that was when I was younger, that to me was. Anything that got me that sense of uh, victory or justice or triumph of the human spirit. So things like Shawshank Redemption as well was an amazing movie. And I thought more morally ambiguous, difficult films like uh, Dead Man Walking with Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. When I was a kid growing up, they started to confuse my sense of what justice was and the complications of around something like the death penalty, which we don't have in the UK, so it's kind of new to me that that could exist in our time. But I'm talking about the um, extreme empathy of a nun going in to, to talk to this man who had murdered people. And I thought that just the, the complexity of those stories and very sensitively told um, helped me kind of understand a bit more of the complexities of very kind of dark areas of the human of the condition. Um, but then also, I was a huge fan of like The Breakfast Club and those 80s. <laughs> Girls like 16 candles, you know, Polly Ringwald, and oh my god, Judd Nelson, I had such a big crush on them. Like, say, Elmo's Fire and all that, because all because also they were much older than me, so I'd watch them as a kid and be like, oh, they're so cool because they're teenagers. Um, so I had, you know, that side I was really into. Um, and then I love musicals as well, so I love things like West Side Story and Sound of Music and, and Mary Poppins, um, kind of like a whole, whole spectrum. Thank you. Um, so in Endgame, we see that Steve is worthy enough to will Thor's hammer. So do you think that Peggy would also be worthy? Yes. Why don't you have the right hammer? Why? Why? It's far too heavy. <laughs> understand that fame and celebrity are byproducts 
and unfortunately, I think, very detrimental, distracting, negative byproducts of living a creative life. So I find, I feel very privileged to do what I do and to work with the creative people that I've got to work with and hopefully will continue to work with in the future. But if, if there is an actor there who thinks that they will, that the career is based on getting praise, outside validation, popularity, if the marker of their success is how many Instagram followers that they have, or if you know they get papped walking down the street, they're in it for a different sort of thing. And I don't really understand what that is. It feels like that's more someone who needs to have therapy <laughs> rather than contributing to the world through storytelling. Because ultimately I think an actor's responsibility is to be of service to an audience. And if I'm offering up a story that you have left your homes to come and watch or be part of, or watching in the comfort of your own home, I know that for me, the power of storytelling can be so intense that I can, my, physically I can feel different from watching a film. I can, it makes me cry, and yet I don't know these people. I, I can watch a film set in another country that I've never been to and feel like I've been there for a moment. So the power of storytelling is huge, and I think there is a responsibility for, therefore, the actor to know their place and their part in it, to knowing that they're there just to serve the audience. And that also, that mentality can give you a sense of freedom where you're not trying to uh, kind of look to yourself and look to kind of be someone important. Because I think it's, we demystify that process, then what you have is the decision of whether or not you love doing it or you love the fact that you get to be called an actor so the, the world sees you in a particular way. They're two very different things. And if you want to be an actor, train at drama school and know that, find that you know you've got something to offer and that you have a skill set that people will want to uh, you know, give up some of their time to come and sit with you and watch what it is you want to give them. So I think, and just and respect that as, a, as an art form that has, been, that has been such an important part of our culture and in many tribes, in many, many cultures, many communities, at the heart of, of that, and even in families, is storytelling. And so to kind of honor it as, as quite a sacred, ancient thing, um, will quickly differentiate whether or not you're in it for those reasons or whether or not you just want some followers on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Oh, gosh. What was it like for Kiss Chris Evans? My name is Anthony. And it's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, yesterday I told you that my wife Carrie was deployed, so hopefully you don't mind too far from getting this up. Uh, my wife was wondering. Growing up, who was your favorite fictional character? Well, uh, there's a few. I loved uh, Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I loved Sarah from The Labyrinth. Yes. She was 14 when she made that film. She was 14. She's amazing in that film. Incredible. Um, uh, there is uh, Francie in The Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which is a book that I love. Um, and then also um, the, the main character in a beautiful book called I Capture the Castle by Bobby Smith. Um, I don't know if they've read those books. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy Stepmom, yeah. And there's a film with, uh, with Bill Nye in it as well, the film version, which is good too. Um, I, yeah, I, I liked, uh, I also love Matilda. Um, Very nice. Yeah, there, there's so many. I kind of, I love it when there's, um, uh, growing up there's a, there's a character who finds a quirk or feels that they're slightly outside of the a social norm and that, being an outsider while is potentially lonely is also where their greatest gift to offer the world comes later on in life if they develop that individuality. Um, so Matilda being a perfect example of that in a, in a kind of a fairy tale version. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, so lots of kind of quirky characters. I'm glad to hear. And then uh, part two for myself. I haven't been able to see all of your filmography yet, but uh, from what I have seen, it, it seemed like in uh, Mansfield Park allowed you the most agency in the story. Right, so I revisited showed what I thought was the most range of your character and uh, probably the most sad and my favorite character so far was in Love Hate. But what was 
my question is, what was your most rewarding experience since starting with that? Um, on stage, it'd be Rebecca West uh, that I've just done. So that's Ibsen's kind of heroine. She, he, I think he wrote Rebecca West as, um, she's a little bit like Nora in The Doll's House. So she's kind of a revolutionary radical at the time. Um, and it was incredibly challenging playing her and finding a, kind of a way through her journey. Um, so she kind of, for me, was in the canon of great female parts on the stage. So to have a go at that, and fail ultimately every single night, but still having a go at that was really riveting. Um, on screen, I think it's literally at the top of my head, I always go back to the experience of doing Black Mirror. Um, there's a, it was the episode of Be Right Back, and it's uh, the character of Martha who loses her partner early on, and through the kind of technology, discovers a way of chatting to a kind of, uh, a, a tech version of him, um, which it felt kind of fantastical, but also not far from what we probably are capable of. Um, and to be, I think I just, I love the writing of it and the, the sensitivity of it. I think Charlie Brooker is, is a genius. And when I saw his first season, I called up this producer and said, I'll, I, I will be any part. I'll be in the background if you want me to. I, I really want to work with Charlie. And then, this particular script came and it gave me goosebumps. I know when, you know, which seldom happens. When it happens, you know, you've got something really special in your hands. Um, so I felt that it was a, it was probably a turning point for screen work for me, where I felt like it could be very natural, but yet it exists in a slightly um, heightened world. Thank you, Haley. And on behalf of everyone here, thank you for being so amazing. You'll always be the best girl. Yeah. <laughs>